All right. Well, I think in the interest of time, we'll go ahead and get started this morning. I want to welcome you all to the NCC webinar, Utilizing Personal Feedback Programs to Bolster Retention and Expand Prevention Programming. And Linda Major and Leslie Esters, both with the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, will be presenting um, our webinar today. They have both agreed that they're more than happy to take any questions you all might have throughout their presentation. So please feel free, if you have a microphone, to unmute yourself and ask a question at any time. For those of you who do not have access to a microphone, you can use the Zoom group chat box and I will monitor that so that we catch your questions. And we also should have some time for questions at the end of the presentation. Um, I do want to thank you too for your patience. This is Linda and I's first time using Zoom for these types of uh, meetings or presentations. So if we come into any challenges, know that's why. Um, but otherwise, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Linda to get started this morning. Thanks, Megan. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Okay, great. So um, I'm really delighted to introduce my colleague, Dr. Leslie Esters. She is with um, University Housing, and we've been working together on using the year one CAP data in combination with what is called our new student enrollment inventory data to provide tailored education to our um, residence halls. So we're gonna talk a little bit, I'm gonna provide some of the background. If you were with us in May when Dr. Tom Workman was here to talk about the fail-safe program, you heard about uh, the project that UNL had uh, the, our process we were embarking. What you're gonna now hear is the backside. I wanted to make sure for those of you who weren't with us in May, you got a good overview of where we were going, why we were going there, and what we were putting together. So as Megan said, if you have any questions, please let us know at any time, and, and we're willing to take questions now or at the end. Um, so I've been really excited for a long time to be thinking about how we harness streams of data for our purposes. And we've been a very data-driven alcohol prevention intervention project since the late 1990s, recognizing we had lots of data available to us that might be used for targeting intervention strategies, taking advantage of economies of scale when we, had, when we were short on resources. What we're hoping to do, like many institutions are starting to do, is generate reliable predictive models. The Chronicle has been talking about this quite a bit. If I remember correctly, it was the University of Iowa or UT Austin that first talk started talking about how they were using data to identify who was most likely to succeed in, an, in a basic chem class and coming up with interventions that increased the likelihood of success for those who were looking like they would have problems. I want to differentiate between forecasting and predictive analytics. The one I always use is forecasting ice cream sales for the summer based on a number of variables versus predictive analytics that would tell us who was more likely to buy the ice cream. So the difference between forecasting and predictive. Predictive analytics is something we've become uh, this become a part of our everyday lives. So those of us who are Netflix members get recommendations based on previous viewing history. Same thing happens with grocery store coupons based on previous buys. 
lot in the news lately about tailored social media content as it relates to political ideology. The same technology is used for online dating sites. We're now using it for student success. And UNL's been using it for crime hotspots for quite some time. I know many of you have, are familiar with pre predictive analytics, but I thought it would be helpful to start with a basic definition. Technology that learns from experience, much like Netflix, grocery store, buying habits, etc., to predict the future behavior of individuals in order to drive better decisions. And in this case, we're talking about driving tailored education based on what we know about the students in either our residence halls or our Greek living units. I mentioned GIS mapping. Um, I know many of you have seen these slides, so I won't spend a lot of time on them, but we've used them in a variety of settings, and this gives us a chance to really predict where students will be most likely to um, maybe create the problems that we've experienced as it re related to high-risk use and to concentrate our resources in those either in those areas, both preventative and intervention strategies. So um, we have a, a party hotspot map in the upper, my upper left-hand corner. We use it in our stadium, our football stadium, and we can deploy resources based on the opponent, the temperature, the time of the season, and the start time of the game. And in the bottom left-hand corner is a hotspot based on um, incidents occurring at midnight or at bar break um, in the downtown area. We use all of this data to better determine where we want to employ a variety of strategies. So this is the best example I have of where we've already used technology to our advantage. You all know about the year one cap. Uh, UNL's been using the year one cap as a whole population strategy since 2009. Um, it's feedback combined with additional information, including protective strategies, campus community alcohol policies, et cetera. UNL several years ago integrated uh, questions from the Rape Myth Acceptance Survey, only four of the 10 that are in the survey, and those four are all rated, related to alcohol. We have a soft mandate at UNL, meaning that students are strongly encouraged it's, uh, to complete the survey before stepping onto campus, and our response rate averages anywhere from 80 to 85%. We've been as low as 78, we've been as high as 92. With an incoming class of 5,000, I've always believed that that gives us a tremendous amount of data points to work with. Um, recent studies suggest that population uh, BMIs can help with increasing student retention and decreased student incidence of alcohol-related campuses. And I'm happy to say that's based on the research with the year one cap. So we actually have documentation that it's, it's a, a, an evidence-based tool that we should have in, in our uh, toolkit. Um, we've been using the data just to give us a better sense of the kind of students we have coming to campus. So you can see I've provided data from 2014 to 2016 for both our non-Greek and Greek respondents. We're able to identify stark differences between our Greek and non-Greek population. We're able to share this information with our colleagues in the Office of Fraternity and Sorority Life so they can work with advisors. This has been our pattern over time. 
we're able to do the same thing looking at individual Greek houses. So this is a chapter-by-chapter -chapter fraternity comparison. So what we provide is non-Greek drinking rates for 2016, total Greek population for 2016, and then to start to narrow down into just entering class men, what's the difference between first-year men and first-year Greek men, and that gives all chapter advisors an opportunity to compare the data within their chapters with the averages of the, both the whole population and uh, by gender. We do the same thing with sororities, and we do share this data. Um, they, they get a look at all of the chapters, not by name. Obviously, they would know if they are A, B, C, and D, but they have a sense of comparison against the individual chapters across the campus, and we've been doing this for quite a few years. I got really excited about this, um, merging these two databases when I found a piece of research by Pascarella that working with massive data sets um, was able to put together two really important pieces of information for me. What Pascarella's research suggested is the highest predictor of college binge drinking is pre-college binge drinking, and we obviously get that through the first-year college alcohol profile. He also said the second highest predictor of college binge drinking is pre-college academic motivation. Because Student Affairs works closely with our Office of Institutional Research and Data Analytics, I was aware that we were collecting data on our first-year students around academic motivation. So I knew that we could begin to merge these two pieces of data to better predict those places where we might anticipate they'd be more wet and more problems might ensue. So that's based on Pascarella's research. So Linda's referenced the NSE inventory. I'm going to give you just a little bit of a, a background on that. Um, uh, several years ago, our institutional research and data analytics staff worked with student success staff members to develop um, an inventory that's um, uh, provided to each of our incoming freshmen, and it is a mandatory assessment that they do. Um, as Linda mentioned, there are four areas or indicators of academic preparedness that the NSE inventory um, assesses for students. Um, what you see on your screen are some sample questions. Um, it's not; these are not the full set of questions. And uh, um, uh, the institutional research folks are constantly analyzing data to identify question validity and to modify questions accordingly. But what we know, they piloted in, in 15, 16, and there have been two full sets of data since that time with our incoming freshmen. And um, so the four areas are um, essentially aptitude, motivation grit, and time management. And as you can imagine, um, having that information, both the student being able to, to reflect on that information in coming uh, to the institution, and then um, campus uh, employees like myself in university housing and first year experiences and, and throughout the institution who are charged with helping students transition and be successful in college, having a sense of where a student is starting um, and what their, what their challenges may be as well as their strengths is incredibly helpful to us in looking at our programs and looking at um, what kind of interventions and services we can provide to individual students, floor communities, residence hall communities, and collaborating with our campus partners on all-campus activities, programming, and events. So we can switch to the next screen. Um, 
Linda had uh, Linda has really done a phenomenal job of getting us off the ground with this. Our goal, in, in essence, was to provide customized academic and health-related programming based on subgroup data. So for us, subgroups um, this past year um, involved Linda compiling aggregate profiles for each of our residence halls. Our residence halls range in size from 50 students to 500. So uh, pulling together that, that information was no small task. But she was able to do that for us, as well as for fraternity and sororities, um, and providing the year one cap and the NSE inventory data, um, outlining those four indicators of academic preparedness. After she, she shared those with us, we began to work together to develop educational strategies and messaging options um, that were customized to these particular um, aggregate communities. Um, what we, one thing we know is that students' behavior and choices are certainly most likely influenced by the behaviors of their um, closest um, neighbors in a residence hall community or in a Greek uh, living unit, so roommates, suite mates, floor mates. Um, and so we began to look at environmental strategies within the context of those specific environments. Um, and then uh, beyond that, we met with our residence hall director staff, and I can speak to that a little more in detail. Linda also met with the Greek advisors to really begin to look at practical applications. What does this data tell us about what our freshman students um, are coming in with in terms of those strengths, in terms of those um, areas of vulnerability or where they need additional support, and um, obviously what their, their um, pre-college use of alcohol and their values related to alcohol and drug use has been. Again, incredibly helpful to us, and we, i got to say this was one of the most exciting adventures um, for me in the capacity of being a planning and assessment uh, staff member within the housing department. Okay, we can go to the next one. What you're going to see now is what Linda put together for us. It's a sample residence hall aggregate profile. One of our larger halls is ABLE. Um, it's the vast majority are freshmen. So super useful for us to start out by having a sense of what the um, what the binge rate, a reported self-reported binge rate of our students was, um, to get a sense of that in comparison to the larger university as well as to the other residence halls. You'll see um, down at the bottom um, a, a really small text, um, the recommendations that we came up with. In the fall, Linda and I met with um, the residence director staff, looked at the data for their individual hall aggregate profiles, and began to develop practical strategies and recommendations for best practices customized to those outcomes. I'm not sure that you can see it, but I'll read it to you. Um, we focused on a number of areas. Obviously, community development and programming was the first lens that we looked through. How can the residence directors and the RAs in that particular hall, in this case, ABLE, really promote um, students' understanding of campus and community standards, norms, policies, and how can we create um, um, intervention opportunities through our programming um, specific to that, to that student population? We got a great list of, of programming, both passive and active programming, um, generated by the staff. And then we began to look through other lenses of what our residence directors and uh, resident assistants do with the students. We looked at the student conduct process. Certainly, you know, a percentage of our students um, come to us, you know, having been cited for alcohol or drug use. And how we looked at how we could use um, our motivational inter interviewing techniques to really intentionally uh, help students begin to look at their alcohol use, to 
previous to, to their college experience as well as as to what it's been since they came to college, um, what the, the motivators or the drivers for those choices were, what kinds of protective behaviors they were engaging in, how to increase those protective behaviors, and to, and to look at what uh, role alcohol um, or drug use uh, may be having in their transition and success at UNL. Um, moving beyond the student conduct process, we also looked at how we were training our staff and the kind of assessment that we're doing. Linda um, has referenced that you know, institutions have different access to data, and so our charge in Housing Residence Life, and specifically my charge, was to look at what existing data did we have from other assessments, from other surveys, from uh, and, and what was within our reach to create or to, to um, do further assessment to get a sense of the impact of our intervention and programming efforts with students in this area. Um, we also looked at, we're, we're big dreamers in Housing Residence Life, we also looked at some institution or university-wide first-year efforts that we would certainly be willing to, to um, throw our energy into in collaboration, so you'll see those. We, we, we try to focus pretty much on what's within our locus of control, but are always looking for those opportunities to partner with other campus um, agents and, and community agents in order to, to try to, to address this um, important aspect of students' experience in college. So that gives you a sense from the um, sample residence hall aggregate profile of the kind of data that Linda provided. The format was super clear. Our residence director staff um, really appreciated being able to look at this um, so clearly for their individual halls as well as for the aggregate residence hall student body and then to develop um, our own recommendations and strategies. At the conclusion of our webinar today, if you would like to see um, these recommendations and these, these sheets, uh, I would be happy to send those to you electronically. I, I do realize that as, as I'm looking at this, it's about a six font, so, um, and, and it is a sample one, so happy to provide that to you if you'd like. Okay, we can go to the next. Uh, Leslie, yeah. before you go on, I just want to say something a little bit different about the fraternity and sorority. As Leslie mentioned earlier, we have two years of full data set. And because residence halls, uh, the population of residence hall turns over every year, we can only give them a glimpse of one year. What we can do for the fraternities and sororities is start to build trend lines. So they looked a little bit different because we were able to give them their year one cap for 2016, for entering class 2017, and similar data for their academic preparedness measures, which allowed them to look at not only their entering class, but their entering class and their sophomore class. For many of our fraternities in general, um, or specifically, the overwhelming membership is their first and second year class. Third and fourth year students are moving on to do other things, internships, preparing for careers, getting ready to graduate. So it gives us a great look at the overwhelming majority of people who are members of that particular group. And we can start to move the needle on those measures for a larger population than just the entering class. Yeah, and to piggyback off what Linda just said, um, one of the things, and this is, oh, you can go to the next slide, Linda, that's fine. One of the things that I've started to do is to look at other relevant assessment data that we have access to within university housing to explore its relevancy to this topic. And one of the, or two of the tools that we have in place currently, we do a fall community experience survey. So we were able to ask our incoming freshmen mid-semester, I believe it was October, late October this year, some questions that were specifically relevant to um, 
their transition to college as it relates to alcohol use, as it relates to these four areas of academic preparedness, and get a sense, kind of in real time, of what our um, efforts in the residence hall, specifically working with our freshmen, were yielding. Um, were we seeing that students um, were uh, were making good choices, had adapted, had adopted um, additional protective behaviors if they were choosing to use alcohol? Um, what their what their academic um, experience had been thus far as it relates to those four indicators. So we were able to do some assessment mid mid fall. We also have a tool called SkyFactor. Any of our housing residents, live staff out there listening probably are familiar with SkyFactor. Um, it's a, a national benchmarking resident assessment that um, gauges students' satisfaction, learning, and overall program effectiveness um, on a broad um, number of topics. And certainly this area, alcohol um, use, drug use, and education um, is, is uh, part of that survey. So we look forward in April when we administer this to getting a sense of throughout that academic year, how did our interventions, our programming, the approaches that we used have impact on our incoming freshman uh, experience with alcohol, drugs, and their academic um, uh, success over the course of the year. So while we are, we do tend to have primarily first-year students living in the residence halls, some upper class who are clustered uh, in other residence halls, I, I feel like we're getting a really nice look at the efficacy, or, and lack thereof, of some of our um, intervention efforts. So that's been really useful. That, that falls within next steps for us. Um, Linda, do you want to highlight a little bit about administering the spring 2018 survey? Yeah, I think this might be a little ambitious, and I'm not sure that we're going to be ready to, to, to uh, implement the um, follow-along um, assessment, primarily because the Greek living units were late in getting their data. We have a terrible time trying to get this information in the hands of chapter advisors. I think the other thing that we found um, difficult is try to figure out, and this is where I can't begin to um, uh, sh share my appreciation for Leslie and her staff who are, you know, really more well-versed in student development theory and what kinds of interventions might align with each one of these areas because Leslie was able to share the menu of options that was developed by residence life directors with the Greek life staff, and then we were able to tailor those menu items for the Greek community, and it was really helpful. Um, I, I just want to say one other thing in terms of applicability to the Greek living units, um, and I thought that this was something I hadn't thought of in terms of using the data. We had a Greek advisor look at it and say, oh my gosh, we can use this information in asking questions for, for uh, prospective members. So if we're low in time management, how might we better identify those students who might be stronger in that area so that we won't continue to attract like people? How can we better use the data to diversify by coming up with recruitment questions that starts to mix up the incoming class, which I thought was, was really quite smart. Our plan is, once we're more firmly entrenched in our intervention strategies, to administer a survey so that we can measure the impact. Where are we able to move the dial on this and where aren't we? We've got good baseline data for our work right now. We want to continue to mine other relevant assessment data, as Leslie talked about, to explore uh, potential relevancy. Can I say a word or two and more about that? Sure. Um, I mentioned both the uh, fall community experience survey and the um, annual 
for us, it's a spring administration of the Sky Factor. We know, though, that there are other opportunities to pull data. For example, um, within our student conduct process, it would be useful once our staff are really on board with incorporating um, questions and tailoring interventions um, with students who they're seeing for alcohol violation, uh, alleged alcohol violation, for us to be able to look at the data um, of, uh, you know, repeat uh, student visits. Um, so, you know, do we see a decrease in the number of students that we see a second time for, for alcohol violations? Um, so there are other methods that, that we're just starting to look at of being able to see um, uh, the efficacy and the impact of, of some of our efforts as it relates to, to helping students um, make good choices and, you know, be aware of their resources and, and um, adapt the, the values and the norms um, uh, that we want to have um, present on, on the UNL campus. And that the majority of our students do adhere to. I did want to say one other thing about the value of the aggregate um, profiles. We opted this year to just look at the hall view. Next year, time willing, and, and uh, hopefully Linda is on board with this, she's nodding, um, we'll be able to look at aggregate data by floor, which I think has incredible utility or potential for utility in customizing uh, for community efforts. For example, in the fall when our freshmen come in, they do a floor agreement, a community charter. Well, if you have a higher percentage of your students who are coming in, um, who maybe uh, are struggling, I'll use the same example, with time management, what are some things that an RA, a resident assistant, can suggest in that floor charter that promote students' development of, of good time management skills? Certainly there's a programming element or aspect to that that we could customize um, if we know that students um, you know, are, are needing some additional support in resiliency or additional support in, in time management. So we look forward to having this data profile or these, this data in profile form by floor next year and are, we'll be excited to report out how, how we're able to customize our programming and other interventions and interactions with students. Um, I'm working with Megan to integrate the year one cap into our admissions process. Part of that is shifting away from the external vendor to an internal vendor, which will help facilitate that process, which, in, which will ensure that we get 100% um, of our students participating similar to the NSA inventory. As people have become familiar with this project, we're starting to get requests from learning communities, as Leslie mentioned, to do this by floor. I think it will be interesting to start to look at other subpopulations across the campus and assist them. And last but not least, we want to continue to build this repository of strategies to impact the identified measures. I think this is a great opportunity for us to bring our colleagues from across the campus to help inform our strategies through disciplines, uh, specific knowledge and theory, and then to begin to test that. I should have mentioned earlier that inventory scores are divided into red, yellow, and green. I know what you, you know about the binge. It's abstainer, drink, no, not high risk, and then we have binger and frequent binger. But we, have, we use a red, yellow, and green, and it's a simple 
third breakup. I want to say that one of the things that originally caught my attention, and actually Leslie and I worked on this together, uh, when we did a deep dive in the first 20 students who were admitted into either our detoxification center or our hospital two years ago, we started to see a relationship between the admission into detox for acute intoxication and NSC inventory scores, which was really what set us down this, another reason we went down this path. Of the 20 students that were admitted, 19 were first-year students of the 19, 18 were women. Of those 18 women, one of the things they had most often in common was a prevalence of yellow and red scores in their NSC inventory, meaning that they were higher risk for attrition at the institution. Yeah, and I would just echo, um, what Linda said in terms of the value of being able to see that phenomenon and its potential impact for our residence directors as they're talking with a student um, who has either been cited for an alcohol violation or is homesick, thinking about um, not staying at the university, or even before that, if we could get this data early enough out, and that is, a, that is a challenge, but if we could get this information early enough out, residence directors could go through and look at the student profiles, with regard to the NSC inventory, and begin to look at, do we have some students who are significantly at risk, particularly in that first period of transition, you know, the first day, the first week, the first month, um, are these the students who would most benefit from some additional interaction with their RA, with their RD, um, with the kind of support that if we know someone has a vulnerability, we're more than happy to offer. This allows us that lens um, of looking at that prior to a student ending up in detox, which obviously we all agree would be of, of such great value um, for us as student educators and supporters of student success. So we're very excited about that piece of it. And we look forward, um, this was the second year that we've had that deep dive review of, of, of those extreme um, high-risk drinking behavior cases. And I, I look forward to what that's gonna yield for us in partnering to try to, to um, decrease that, that occurrence. The other thing I should mention is that um, the NSC inventory scores are posted in uh, each student's MyRed account. So if you have access to that data, you can look at the individual data. So as Leslie was saying that when we bring a student in for conduct issues, that conduct officer is able to reference the NSC inventory scores and maybe develop a tailored response based on that. The, the, Self-reported drinking rates will never be included in that um, for a lot of reasons, mostly because it changes you know, across time. But it does give us a glimpse in aggregate in what we might anticipate as a more wet environment. Okay, so lessons learned. There were many. Um, we certainly saw that there are, are strategic links um, with students' alcohol and academic priorities. Um, we did find in communicating this with our resident director staff um, that this is more difficult for some to conceptualize than for others. So we need to make sure that we're taking time with our residence directors and with others who will be working with these profiles and data to make sure that they fully understand um, how these relate to each other and the implications for their practice um, working with students. Um, I, I think we've kind of highlighted this, but certainly the data has a usefulness beyond programming. While that's certainly a place of um, of overlap that a lot of our a lot of our campus partners um, work on programming and and uh, community development. 
we in residence life and housing in particular are finding that it has implications for everything, for individual resident interactions, for working with students on uh, normative transitional issues, for students with mental health concerns, certainly for students in the conduct process, and for how our communities develop um, for challenges within our communities and for strengths um, within our communities. So we that kind of leads to the last one. We think we've just scratched the surface of possibilities for utility, particularly I can only speak to housing residence life, but um, we definitely see the value of looking at this data, using this data um, to inform the, uh, the ways that we use our resources um, to support students' successful transition and, and uh, progress here at the U. Um, last point, the staff, um, Definitely would like to see the data grouped um, uh, in smaller kind of micro environment. I think we addressed that in terms of looking at and having that data that profile by floor. So um, for this year two, we're excited to see how that's going to impact uh, our ability to customize our efforts. I think the, the last point I want to make is that because we're merging um, this data together, it paints a different picture for our academic colleagues. So we can make an argument, a better argument, as the relationship between this outside the classroom behavior and how it intrudes. So it's really started to help us form new relationships with our academic partners, better linking high-risk behaviors and academic preparedness, attrition, and um, retention. So with that, we're ready to answer any questions you might have. Thank you, Linda and Leslie. I just would make the offer for anyone who has a question or wants some more information, if you wanna go ahead and unmute yourself to be able to ask that question, feel free. And again, for those of you who don't have the ability to have a microphone, please feel free to use the group chat option. I know that several you, uh, of you on the webinar today have the year one cap at your institution. So do you have any specific questions about how you could take some of the same steps that UNL has on your own campus? So I see Janelle with um, Peru State College has asked about the cost associated with the year one college alcohol profile. And that's a little bit tricky for me to answer um, at this point in time. Linda uh, alluded to the fact that we are currently looking to switch vendors, um, which many of you who currently have the year one cap are familiar with that conversation. Um, we are looking to move to UNL Information Technology Services at, as the vendor moving forward to help reduce costs over the long term for all members utilizing the program. We're supposed to be meeting um, next week to have more conversations about what a budget and timeline looks like for that project. And so I should have more information soon about that. Um, I will say in the past with the current vendor, it was around $3,500. I'm hopeful that moving forward with UNL ITS that that cost will be reduced. But again, I can't say for certain until next week.
Any other questions or comments about uh, further utilizing the data that the year one cat provides to institutions about their students? Well, I'm not seeing or hearing any additional questions. So I will mention before we wrap up today that um, we have recorded the webinar and I will be posting it to the NCC's website next week along with uh, Linda and Leslie's PowerPoint presentation, assuming they're okay with that. Absolutely. And um, perhaps also we could send along um, a, or make available a copy of the housing recommendations. If sure. Okay. Certainly. You bet. So that, that way you all have that as a reference point moving forward. And then I would say too that I'm sure Leslie and Linda would be willing to um, take any questions that you might have at a later time about moving forward with next steps. Absolutely. Alrighty, well feel free to reach out if you do have a question or comment that comes up for you later. And also, um, I will send out a note to the listserv once everything's been posted on the website and feel free to share that with colleagues um, on your campuses and in your communities that might also be interested in this information. So I'd like to thank Linda and Leslie for your time today. I think it was great information. And uh, thank you all for joining us. Thank you, our pleasure, thank you.